in the not too distant future. Following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, plus the hidden horrors of secret World War 2, there's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to the last comic shop. People often ask me how the world ended, whether it was with a bang or with a whimper. And all I can say is, first they came for the drive-ins and nobody said anything. Next, they took the arcades and still, folks stayed silent. Then it was the video rental establishments, the record shops, and the toy stores. And still, they said nothing. By the time they got to the local comic book shops, there were no nerds left to say anything. Except for us! We're the last comic shop, raging against the dying of the light, sending our broadcasts back into the days of futures past in hopes that our comic book reviews might alter this cold, gray reality in which comic shops are nothing but a long-forgotten memory. So heed our words and go to your local comic shop. Pick up either of the book we'll be reviewing today or any number of countless comic book treasures before, before it's, it's too, too late. late. And I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, and welcome back to another week of The Last Comic Shop. Thank you for tuning in to our broadcast. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Chad Smith. So, Chad, on today's episode, we're going to be reviewing an X-Men book. X-Men. And X-Men are some of the most popular comic book characters ever. And I think all of us here in The Last Comic Shop have our own stories of our experiences with these mighty mutants. And so I thought that our listeners might want to hear... What's your take on the X-Men? Do you like the X-Men? Do you not like the X-Men? Well, back in the day when I was a burgeoning reader, I loved the X-Men. Loved the X-Books, the Fringe Books, the X-Factors, the X-Forces. Like, that stuff was all my jam. And then eventually, after, like, the Grant Morrison era, they just got too complicated for me. And now that they're, they've moved on to the Hickman era, I'm hoping it's good, but at the same time, I'm not going to stick around. I'll just wait until it's done. And, uh, and check in there. But it's one of those things where X-Men are one of those groups where I feel like continuity is a hindrance, where there have just been so many wild and wacky takes, it's really hard to keep track, and it's really hard to care about all the characters with what they've done with a lot of them. Right, with uh, killing all the mutants, and then are the mutants now back now, and then they brought the, uh, the time-traveling versions of the original X-Men forward from the 60s, and like they exist at the same time as the new versions do. It, it became very complicated after a while. Uh, the other uh, co-host I have on The Last Comic Shop every week is J.A. Scott. Now, J.A., as somebody that grew up with you, I know you like the X-Men, because that was one of your favorite books, when we were teenagers, 
What's your take on the X-Men? Do you still like them? Oh, yeah. I mean, Uncanny X-Men, uh, that was my go-to. That and Silver Surfer growing up. So I loved the Chris Claremont X-Men era. I think one of the greatest runs in comic book for writing, bar none. I sort of phased away from them when they started spreading out and, and X anything X became a franchise model. So X-Force, X-Factor, Extinction Agenda, X-X-X-X-X, everything was X. And you went from just having one book to, I think there were 10 or 15, I don't know. I remember my pool pile when I was uh, a senior in high school had just gotten ridiculous. And then I went to college and I stopped reading all the X books. Um, I've come back a bit. Uh, and I, I, I will agree with Chad. I'm waiting to see where this Hickman stuff goes. I need some charts and graphs to tell me what I need to know. <laughs> but I did recently go back and reread some of the original Claremont run that got me into the book. So I got in, I think, probably towards the end of his long run on the series. Yeah, weren't, uh, it, didn't you jump in about the time they were in the Outback? Like, wasn't that, weren't yes, you an, ax, an Outback boy? That is correct. In fact, that's going to be my recommendation this week. So, yes, I, I got into them when they were fighting the Reavers in the Outback. You know, most of the folks from our generation, that seems to be about the time they jumped onto the X-Men. Like, it was nice back in the day because they used to have that book running and then they would have that X-Men Classics, which they would reprint the John Byrne and uh, Chris Claremont X-Men or the Dave Cochran run or whatever it was. So not only you kind of were double dipping, you got some of those classic X-Men books at the same time as you got a pretty decent run. Uh, is that the same time as uh, the, what, the fall of the mutants or is that? Um, the, that was what? like the start of the Outback stuff was right after fall of the mutants. Yeah, they were in the Outback and, and you're kind of left with, half a team because a lot of the mutants are missing. They've gone through this portal and you don't know where anybody is. And it's all very that's, iffy. That's the Siege Perilous? Is that, is that the yes. same thing? Okay. Yes. Like, see, I, I'm going to show my uh, kind of nativity because honestly, I wasn't an X-Men fan. Like, J.A. was the huge X-Men fan. I was Fantastic Four. I was Spider-Man. I was the Avengers. Those were my books growing up. And I really didn't read a lot of the X-Men because I thought they were too popular like i was like one of those guys i was just like i'll just pop my collar here and uh, everybody else is reading the x-men i want to be different from even the rest of the comic book nerds i want to be my own guy and not read them uh you know i was a guy that read some of the blue team i don't know anybody that read the gold team back in the day but i was a blue teamer so i read that i read x factor which uh, i i hated the lady larry stroman art but i really like so much fun it was so ugly looking compared to what else was going on. Like, it didn't look like the Jim Lee stuff. It didn't look like the uh, Rob Liefeld stuff. It just looked wiggly, and I didn't like it. But I like the stories. That's that's classic Peter David on that on that particular series. So, But I will say that I'm on board with the recent stuff that's been going on. I like Hickman's kind of play on the X-Men just simply because he's just kind of throwing all that previous continuity out with the bathwater and just saying, look, you don't read the X-Men. That's fine. Uh, you don't have to, you can just read my run. I'm, I'm reimagining everything for you and it's fine. I mean, I just picked up X of swords, which is like the big next big event after the powers of 10 house of there X. You go. 
and I, I want to read it on this on this show. So if you're a fan of X of Swords, make sure that you're tuning into the last comic shop in the upcoming weeks. We're going to be definitely reviewing that particular book. Is on it X the- of Swords or Ten of Swords? Uh, X ten of, of Swords, X. Ten of Swords. It's all the tarot cards again, I think. It, it, I think. Yeah. It's iPhone of Swords. <laughs> there you go. But in any case, yeah, we'll be reviewing that on uh, an upcoming episode. And it's available out in hardback. Uh, it came out a couple weeks ago. But in any case, we're not covering that particular book on today's program. We are covering X-Men Grand Design by Ed Pisker. And we'll be right back with that review right after these messages. Welcome to Victims and Villains. This is the channel where we talk nerd, we talk hope, and we speak nothing else. I'm your host, Captain Nostalgia, and I'm so glad that you're here to join us. Victims and Villains is a podcast and YouTube channel that marries pop culture and suicide prevention, producing content with the intent to let people know that there is hope and that there is a better way and that each and every listener has value and worth. Listen to Victims and Villains on your favorite podcast catcher or on YouTube by searching for Victims and Villains. Also, check out their website, victimsandvillains.net. back with more of The Last Comic Shop. And on today's program, we're going to be reviewing a very interesting book. It is done by a local Pittsburgh native. Uh, as you might know, before the post-apocalypse, uh, we all lived in Pittsburgh or hailed from the Pittsburgh area. Well, anyway, not my cousin. Close enough. Close enough. Uh, but it is Ed Pisker. He uh, decided that he wanted to do basically a retelling of all of the X-Men continuity. And he did it in a series of books called X-Men Grand Design. And so, Chad, was this just solely Ed Pisker? Did he, was he involved with anybody else on this particular project? Well, no. So Ed Pisker does all the cartooning. Uh, so that includes your letters. That includes your art. That includes your colors. Um, and I, I'm reading from the Treasury Edition which Ed Pisker is one of the few people I think he demanded his work be collected in these treasury-sized formats, that oversized format. Oh, yes. Um, And so there's lots of cool extras in here, including he recolored uh, X-Men number one by Stan and Jack. You know, he included his own colors in there. And let me just say for the record, if I could get Ed Pisker to recolor all the comics, modern, uh, retro, whatever, I would do that thing. Because I, so often I hate the modern coloring and they'll reprint old books with modern coloring. No, I want to go backwards. I want to go to the Ed Pisker style. Right. Stuff, yeah. the, the almost dot matrix kind of four color. Yes. Uh, old Are they the Brenday dots? I need to work on my terminology. No, Some of the biggest problems with the modern recoloring of these old books is that it's too vibrant. It's too crisp. Mm. They're not taking into account, I think, the medium. The whole point, right. and colorists knew this, was that it was going to be four four dot four color printing, and so they would make their colors so that it would mesh, and it, it wouldn't be quite so vibrant on the page when you see it on the newsprint. Right. When you see modern reprints of this stuff, where it's really really yellow or really really blue, that's just not what it would have looked like on 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 a real comic. It would have been dull. Yeah. So I agree with you on that one in a good way. Right, and, and I would yeah. say that yeah, one yeah. thing this book isn't is dull. And speaking of this book, let's get to that 10-cent synopsis. This whole book is 10-cent synopsis. 
Well, I'll do it. It's easy. So X-Men Grand Design is Ed Pisker's take on the entire X-Men continuity from then till now. Uh, We read episodes one and two, which takes you basically from the formation of the X-Men up through their battles in the Savage Land. Uh, We're still with the original X-Men. So they go from their yellow and black costumes to their classic uh, color costumes uh, back. You know, I guess it was the late 60s or 70s, maybe. Yeah, it's the Roy Thomas, Neil Adams run. So it pretty much goes up to when they decided to go to reprints for the X-Men because it wasn't selling. So like around, I think, what, issue 65 or 66 of the original run, uh, they decided, heck, nobody's reading the X-Men. And they went into reprints until Giant Size X-Men 1. And they kind of tease Giant Size X-Men 1 at the end of this book, like this is the next big thing. So you get that in later volumes. But this is really the uh, the story of Charles Xavier putting together the original Blue and Golds and their fights in, in those early days in the 60s. Uh, I will say also, uh, it the whole idea is that Watcher is recording everything he knows. And eternity wants a report. So that's a conceit. And let me take umbrage, sir. I, I have umbrages. I don't know if that's a verb. <laughs> but, and my umbrage is that this is not the totality of the X-Men until now. Because that would be even more of a garbled mess. <clears throat> this is the garbled mess that is the Chris Claremont era of the X-Men. Uh, including the Stan and Jack stuff that came before it. But this takes you all the way up until uh, basically the image guys left. Yeah. A little bit of Bishop tossed in. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and ultimately, you know, what's nice about this, too, is it's not just exactly a retelling of exactly how the story is told in X-Men. Because if you read the Uncanny X-Men, first it was Stan and Jack, and then basically Stan left and they gave it to Roy Thomas. And this was like Roy Thomas's first big deal as a writer. Like it was, he was young. They gave him the X-Book because nobody cared. And that's when you get stories about like, I don't know, him fighting the Cobalt Man Mm. and like the Mutant Master. And what Ged Pisker does is he tries to weave that all into some sort of narrative that then makes sense with the later stuff that Chris Claremont brought to the book, like all the dark Phoenix saga stuff. And I think that's fascinating because the first, the first pages in this book, what happens, but they retell the the story that happened. I think in, I don't think maybe it's Marvel comics eight where the original human torch and the Submariner fight. And basically the Submariner drowns New York. And he's a mutant, so everybody starts hating mutants because of Namor. And I think that is a tremendous way to start the book. It's like, no, 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 he's one of the first Marvel characters. He was a mutant. Yeah, people have a reason to fear and distrust Namor because he's killed millions in submerging New York City. This is the X-Men with benefit of hindsight. Yeah. As much as we laud these early X-Men books, they were trashed. They were just not to the same standard as the Chris Claremont era. They tended to be standalone issues, you know, villain of the week type stuff. I mean, there was some stuff in the tail end of the Roy Thomas run. Because I I sat down. One summer, I was really bored. And I decided I was going to read from X-Men 1 to X-Men 66. I just said, I'm going to read this. I don't know what it's about. I got it all in Marvel Masterworks, and I said, I'm going to read this. And you're right. Like, 
between issues like 25 and like, you know, when Neil Adams gets on, you're like, why is any of this happening? Like, they barely talk about any mutants. There's no Sentinels, except for this storyline with the Mutant Master. Like, the Mutant Master comes onto the screen and, like, Roy Thomas starts piecing together stories that Roy Thomas would eventually become famous for. Like, what he did with the Avengers, uh, or later on with, like, the Defenders or other books. Like, he starts piecing together, like, issue after issue and saying, yeah, this matters but at the end of the day, the mutant master still ends up being an alien from some bizarre galaxy and not really being a mutant. So you're kind of like, well, I don't know. I don't get this at all. A Cthulhu mutant. Yeah. But it's nice in this particular book because Ped Pisker has that hindsight and decides, hey, the mutant master was always on Earth looking for Phoenix. In fact, everybody was looking for Phoenix. Why are there so many weird aliens at the beginning of X-Men? Because they're all looking for Jean Grey. And I was like, ching That makes sense. Thank you for, for bridging, bridging that gap and, and for rewriting continuity in a way that makes sense. I'll, I'll just pick up right where you left off with the whole Jean Grey thing. I did like how at the beginning they're leaving all these little breadcrumbs in. So Jean Grey, when she joins the team, already has the power to kill all of humanity inside her and professor X can see it. And you know, those crumbs that later come out with dark Phoenix are already there. Cause as I said, you know, I, I love the X-Men. I'm not a huge fan of the early stuff because it's two one-offs here and there, and it doesn't tie in. They don't tie into each other. Therefore the first battles with the um, brotherhood of evil mutants carry so much more weight in Ed Pisker's grand design because you know what's coming later. I think that's what's interesting. It would be interesting if you gave this book to someone who hadn't read the Chris Claremont X-Men and didn't know what was coming, how they would view this. Because we all know. We know what Dark Phoenix is. We know Days of Future Past. We know these big touchstone moments are coming. So we're reading this as a, it's like a reimagining of of a, a history we already know about from an interesting angle. It's like, oh wow, I never thought about that way. It's you know, it's it's like uh, watching somebody's new take on a classic movie, if you will. But it would be interesting if to show that or have somebody read it who's never read X Men before, how they would take all of this. Well, let me answer that because I did that thing because I when I first got this, I was looking at it, I was like, wow, this would be a cool little primer. You know, it's a little bit underground, it's a little bit hipper than your standard superhero book, but if somebody really wanted to get into the X-Men, this would be a really cool way to do that. And it turns out, that is not true. You see, part of this is that, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about this, and I'll, I'll even gush about the project in itself, but this is art for the sake of people that appreciate that particular art form. And what I mean by that is, this is not for noobs. This is like the B-side Van Halen stuff. Where it's like, mm. people aren't going to appreciate this. This is the, the Grateful Dead, the concert tapes. This is, it's not for somebody that's not uh, versed in this material, because it's an academic effort that Pisker undergoes to take all this stuff and condense it and to make sense out of it. And it's, it, that, it's super impressive, and I don't want you to think I'm dogging that. But so much of the nuance gets left out. And if you don't know that this page is all about this thing, or, oh, this is teasing the Phoenix Saga, or, oh, this is teasing the Hellfire Club, or, oh, this is teasing Mr. Sinister. And, like, if you don't know what that stuff is or who these characters are, 
this does not make a lick of sense. It, it's just, it's not, that's not its purpose. Right. This is to celebrate this, the X-Men for X-Men fans and people that are familiar with the material. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's almost metafictional, to be honest. It is actually, it, it's an homage, but in doing the homage, you, you, you just have to understand the source material. And I like that idea that it's a, it's a deep cut. It's like for the people who have all the albums and all the bootlegs, this is like the, the box set that gives you a whole bunch of uh, tapes of yes, original. Yes, this is not greatest hits. Well, right. I know that when I was reading it, I even I think I went a little bit further than a deep cut. I, I honestly thought it was more like a cover. But just because you like the original song, right? You're like, oh, I really like this song. And then I hear it from this other artist that is really, really good. And I like his voice, uh, just the way that he, he, he goes about it. But he's singing a song that I already liked from this other person. And the only reason that I'm really digging that song is because at the end of the day, I still like the song. Sort of, yeah, it's like when they cover an entire album, and you're like, oh, this is somebody's fresh take, but they're still doing the same notes, they're still singing the same songs. But with, like, a ukulele. It's like Jimi Hendrix played on a ukulele. It's yeah, true. Uh, and, and, and this isn't the first time that kind of Ed Pisker has done something like this. Uh, Ed Pisker, I first found his work because he did a very similar uh, series of books called uh, Hip Hop Family Tree in which he basically did the retelling of the entire history of hip-hop. And it was done in this kind of same exact format. It was Fantagraphics. They released it in, like, treasury format editions. It was multiple volumes. It kind of went through a very similar kind of history with these very dense panels. Like, that's one thing that you'll, if you're reading X-Men Grand Design or Hip-Hop Family Tree, there's a lot of stuff going on like he has to cram so much information and because you're talking about like what a 66 issues and he's releasing it in like i don't know 120 pages or something for the first two volumes that's crazy to to kind of condense that uh, but it still works and so like i applaud him for again it may be a niche thing it may be an homage thing it may be something where you can't give this to new comic book readers but like for those folks that have enjoyed this, and for me that really doesn't like the X-Men, I like his retelling so much better. Like, it makes so much more sense. He cuts out so much of the the nonsense in between things and makes things more crisp and more uh, just relatable and, and things flow better. Yeah, well, that's where the hindsight comes in with the fact that when Stan and Jack were making these books, when Roy Thomas was writing, when Chris Claremont was writing, they didn't set out with a Bible and like, well, this needs to happen around this time and this needs to happen around that time. They made it up as they went. You know, while it's happening, you know, you're picking up these issues and, you know, you're watching this stuff happen. Like, what's a Siege Perilous? I don't know if he knows. But he's going to make it up next issue, whatever it is. And so because Pisker's ha he has all that stuff and he can go back to it and like, it really is impressive him turning it into a cohesive story that works as well as it does. Real quickly, Jay, I wanted to hear your thoughts on the artwork. I feel like you're the type of person that would have liked this artwork, not only because you talked about the coloring, but it kind of has that kind of homage to those original Jack Kirby pages, and I know that you like that art. Yeah, I've only read the episodes one and two, so that takes us through sort of the original X-Men run before giant size X-Men, and, and we get Colossus and Wolverine in, so I haven't read the rest of the... the I like what Chad said. It, it's not 
to give to somebody to get right into normal comic book art. It's throwback, if you will, a bit. It sort of has that 60s vibe to it. The, the, the way the action is portrayed, the panels are very dense. It feels like an independent comic a bit. So I like it now. My question was, and I've been confirmed, that it doesn't evolve the way that the X-Men comic art evolved. So I don't know if it's going to work so well when we get into the 70s and the John Byrne era X-Men and the 80s and the 90s with Jim Lee and those where the art had evolved and was a bit more dynamic and less cartoony. So, Jay, I went through and I read through the rest of the series and it is really neat, but it there were parts that kind of bothered me. Like there are certain things that he chooses to include and certain things that he doesn't that... Uh, as I got into the stuff that I was more and more familiar with, it was it was kind of a balancing act between, oh, it's cool he included that, but, like, why didn't you do that thing? You know that panel where Wolverine's in the sewer and he has his claws popped and, like, I forget what his line is. It's something with Bub. It's got yeah, to be it's something with Bub. Bub. But it's like, everybody knows this panel. Pisker doesn't do that panel. <laughs> like, how was that issue? And, like, you have these 9, 10, 12 panel pages, but he doesn't do that panel. And I'm like, you got to do that panel. Like, it's so... Speaking, speaking of characters, by the way, I wanted to get your guys' take on the, the idea of... I mean, he has an opportunity to retell some of these, uh, these characters. And, uh, for example, like, uh, Jean Grey is made to be much more capable than in the 60s books ever were. Like, I mean, this is like having hindsight on who Jean Grey is and being like, yeah, no, I'm probably the most powerful member of this team. And, uh, you know, the only reason I'm being held back is because Charles Xavier put mind blocks into me. So it's like really freeing to kind of see that. And like, yeah, she's just not a, I hate to say it, a damsel in distress like the way she was written in the 60s. She gets Uh, to come rescue a couple of times. But... There are two characters that, again, a lot of X-Men fans and comic book fans in general sometimes feel are colossal jerks. One of them being Charles Xavier, the other one being Scott Summers. In this particular book, do you feel that Ed Pisker did a good job of at least providing enough backstory to make you a little more empathetic to either Charles or Scott? Well, Claremont Scott Summers was always my Scott Summers. And so when I read him, he was always like a little misguided or a little blind to things. Like he had that tunnel vision where, you know, he wanted to be, the, you know, the heir to the Xavier th- throne, basically. He wanted to be that the best kid, the teacher's pet. And he was always trying real hard. And so I never felt Cyclops was a true jerk until we would get into the later days and he started making out with Emma Frost and like, and so this is my Cyclops. I, I, I thought he was a much more understandable character. What about Charles? Charles is probably the biggest jerk in the in Marvel universe for me, but I, there were moments here. I actually did feel for him. Like he's, he's younger and like his dad, I think dies of like radiation poisoning. And then yeah. like he has to go and live with the Marcos and his brother's like basically a psychopath. And he, and he tries to want to try to heal his brother brother 
who ends up being the juggernaut, his half brother, uh, you know, Kane Marco, and and fighting with the Shadow King for the first time, and those when he first starts realizing his powers. This was a Charles Xavier that was kind of like the one from that first class movie where you kind of feel like, yeah, he's still feeling things out. He's he's learning. He's not so much of a a jerk. What are your thoughts on that? I think he's still a jerk. Um, I think Professor Xavier is a user. But I've always been in the opinion he's trying to use people for the right reasons. So I, I think all that was there. I think his intentions are noble, but a lot of times those intentions and what he actually does... Like, eh, he's not exactly the most heroic character you'll find. What do you Jay? think, Jay? He's always been a dick. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's what what, what I like, I mean, because originally he wasn't, you know, in the original run, especially in the early 60s stuff, he's just kind of, you know, that father figure type. I even think Stan Lee saw himself in Professor X. But as the series progressed and different writers started to make their take on him, they start to realize that he's much less of this father figure and more of, you know, he's got arrogance about him. I think he got more nuanced as Magneto got more nuanced because Magneto needed to be much more of a nuanced character. He couldn't just be this sort of standard 60s bad guy. Yeah. And I will say that's another great thing about this Ed Pisker run. If you're a fan of Magneto, I think Magneto gets a really good retelling in this particular uh, tome. Uh, and in the fact that they, they go through the entire history of him from, you know, escaping from the concentration camps to the persecution that he had uh, growing up. And, and they just make him be much more capable even from the start. In X-Men number one, when he goes and tries to steal the nuclear weapons like it's part of a larger scheme that Magneto has, at least in this Ed Pisker book, whereas in the original comic book, it's just kind of a one-off. He shows up and he's like, ma ha ha, and I'll put my hands together and I'm evil and I'm trying to do this. But in Ed Pisker, like, he's got that hindsight to say, like, no, 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 Magneto is much more important. And he would not be just doing this just for the sake of doing it. Like, it would be part of a grander design. So. Yeah. Spoiler alert for the later volumes, though. He drops that ball bearing where, you know, in terms of making Magneto a nuanced character, and, like, Magneto's always a calculating bad guy throughout the Piscor. Really? Yeah. See, that's the thing. I haven't read up until, like, the 80s. I, I think I read the next volume of this, but I didn't read up until, I think it's it's the one with the Wolverine up on the cross. And uh, I think that's about the time when Magneto makes his face turn in real Marvel continuity. In like that mid-80s, he becomes, you know, Magneto with the big M on his chest and starts trying to be a good guy after, you know, X-Men versus Avengers and the trial of Magneto and things like that. So I would have liked to have seen Magneto make that face turn because it actually happened in continuity. That, that, that's disappointing. I didn't get as far into the series, so that, that uh, I would have liked to have seen that, I, I guess. <laughs> With Magneto stuff, I, I like that a lot, too. It's like, that's when I was reading this stuff, was Magneto was a good guy and going back and forth a bit, but with the scope of this project, uh, you know, there are things that get cut for time, and I understand that. Okay. Well, one thing that doesn't get cut for time is The Last Comic Shop. We'll be right back after these messages with our grade ratings, so stay tuned. Have you checked out QuadMProductions.com lately? QuadMProductions.com is your direct access hookup to order the Enigma comic book series and download the QuadM Show podcast. 
Check the appearances page for upcoming events and contact us with any questions or comments. Don't be the only lonely soul who's missing out on all the fun. Visit us today at quadamproductions.com. That's quadamproductions.com. Hey, this is Ken M. Padawan J. Coach Duffy. From the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour Podcast. Every week, the ODPH is talking sports, movies, TV, comics, and more. It's always a parlay of topics on each episode. You can find the ODPH on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and wherever you find great podcasts, such as the one you're listening to right now. Don't forget to check out OchoDuroParlayHour.com, where you can find the links to all of the ODPH social media accounts, links to the bands whose music you hear each week on the show, hashtag 607 podcast info, and parlay points are our companion block section of the show. Thanks for listening to the ODPH. Now get back to your regularly scheduled podcast. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings, where we assign some sort of value to our particular comic book that we've reviewed this week, because that's what critic shows do. They say, hey, not only did we read this, but we have to assign worth. And on every single episode, we do that out of a one out of four scale. And as always, our uh, co-host, J.A. Scott, he likes to pick a particular theme for our one out of four scale every week. So, Jay, what is the one out of four scale this week? Uh, this week, we are grading as one out of four mutant XGs. Oh! Ooh. Yeah, that's still a difficult sound effect, but that's what it sounds like. <laughs> mutant genes. I was hoping you'd get the shake or maybe a, an optic blast from Cyclops, but mutant genes, that's all right. We, we, we can go with that. Uh, we're going to start off with you, J.A., as, as my guy that uh, I always equate to being a big X-Men fan. Did you enjoy the experiment known as X-Men Grand Design? So, caveat being that this is just episodes one and two, so it's going through the early years of the X-Men. I did enjoy it. I do like that idea that it's a bit of a deep cut. I would say three. Three mutant X-Genes. It made me want to go back and reread some of the early comic books. I've been on the record as saying I actually thought the early runs of X-Men don't stand up that well. You know, I start out my X-Men reading, if I want to go back to the past with giant size X-Men, I thought that's when it, it actually got interesting. So this makes you kind of rethink about the early stuff. I like the way he did that. That being said, it's not something for everyone. Three X-Genes out of four. Three, because it's still telling great stories, and it's about the X-Men, who are like the baddest super team ever. Sorry, Avengers come in second to me so <laughs> right. chad what's your grade this is really tough for me because there's parts of this that i absolutely love and like i'm a nerd i'm a comic fan and this is nerdy stuff for comic fans this is academic remastering of the x-men history and as somebody who grew up reading x-men comics in the 80s and 90s i i still like not a huge Claremont fan. I read them for the pretty pictures because trying to figure out what the heck was going on, especially back in the days when you might miss an issue here or there. It's like, what? Why is Colossus over there? This is uh, Betsy Braddock. That's not Betsy Braddock. Like there was so much that made no sense. And this whole project goes through and makes sense of it. But with that said, I also think that it's too cool for me. Aww. And this, I, I have this a lot with the Ed Pisker stuff. Like he's that comics with an X 
And, like, there are certain elements here where it's like, I can hang for a good bit of this, but at the end of the day, there's just that element where it's like, all right, I'm a stranger in a strange land here. So I'm going to say 3.5 Mutant Genes. I think if you're a fan of uh, Old School X-Men, you ever wanted to see everything mapped out in a way that it's a cohesive plan, uh, this is great. But at the same time, there was just enough missing or left out or nuances that were skipped over that, you know, I would shake my fist and be like, ah, I want nuance. Mm. All right. Well, I'm going to give this four. I'm going to give this four mutant genes. I really loved this particular book. It just appeals to that hipster mentality of mine. This is the epitome of a retro hipster in which like, ha look at me with my French breast coffee and my, my mono record recordings and going back and revisiting the original Silver Age X-Men and kind of making it relevant for, you know, the modern sensibilities. But it's more that I give this guy so much credit because there's so much that's going into this. And as somebody that sat down and just painstakingly and i'm telling you it was painstaking because it was painful to read some (laughs) of those original x-men stories from the silver age to have this series out and be able to do a fresh take on it to kind of cut out all the fluff that didn't matter like you were like why does unis the uh, untouchable even have to exist well they tell you like mutants were looked as at as as sideshow freaks and that's why in most of the early issues like that's what they are like the blob is hanging out at a carnival and unis is working as a professional wrestler like it's because they were like looking for legitimacy because they were so shunned by society that matters like there are threads that are so obvious after you read ed pisker's grand design that you're like why didn't people pull on these threads before why didn't they start putting these threads together and making this stuff make sense again i'm gonna sound like a colossal nerd here uh if you read early uh early x-men in issues 19 and 20 there's this guy called lucifer who's just this random alien that happens to be responsible for charles xavier being freaking paralyzed that's a huge (laughs) thing and of course, he's not really responsible for it in this particular book, but they at least draw the the comparison between Lucifer and the Mutant Master and say, yeah, Lucifer was working for Mutant Master. That's the kind of stuff I love. I love when he people draw connections. It matters. And again, like the fact that Namor drowned New York City and that's why people hate mutants. That makes so much more sense than like just randomly, yeah, we don't like mutants because they're different. I get that. That that's like an important theme in the X-Men, but it makes more sense that the general populace could point to a mutant and say, he basically killed millions. Yeah, we hate them. Like that that makes sense to me. A triggering point that causes people to to fear a particular thing. It happens. It happens in real life. So like to have that as be a point, I gotta say, it's just super neat. It's super neat. Four out of four. There you go. Can I throw a word out before we wrap up? It's it's perspective. Like, with that hindsight, he's able to put things in perspective, and you understand which elements of the X-Universe are important and which ones aren't, because they aren't covered. Yeah. Like, the, did anybody else love that those scenes with, like, the Shire, and the reason why the Shire came to the Earth in the first place was to find, again, the Phoenix, how they tortured Scott Summers' dad? I, it, just some great stuff there. Like, I don't know. I just loved it. Just loved it. 
Any case, one other thing that I love is when we do recommendations on our particular program every single week. We give you other comic books that you should check out in addition to uh, X-Men Grand Design uh, that you can pick up at your local comic book shops. So we often do three recommendations, one that's current, one that's similar, and then one out of left field. Now, I will say that they're all kind of somewhat related to the Pate's book, as we often sometimes do as well. But we're going to go ahead and start off with our similar book, because in some ways it's uh, pretty much the same book, except done with a different team. And I'm going to start, and that's Tom Scioli. Tom Scioli is kind of like Ed Pisker's running buddy. He's also from Pittsburgh. He's also a really kind of indie comics with an X kind of uh, author and artist. He did a lot of really great books. If you've never checked out uh, American Barbarian, that's a great series by Tom Scioli. But he did his own take on this same idea with Fantastic Four grand design now it's only two issues but it is really really good if you're a fan of the fantastic four versus the x-men which i don't know how many people are but he does a great job of reimagining the uh, fantastic fours early days which is somewhat even more convoluted uh than the x-men if that's possible and he does it in again very very small panels Everything from their their creation to their fights against the Skrulls to uh, Doctor Doom to the coming of Galactus. Now, with issue two, it kind of goes off the rails a little bit, and he starts injecting a little bit more of his own take on the story. And the what-ifs. And the what-ifs. And so, yeah, because like, he, he, he starts bringing in the fact that like Sue Storm leaves uh, Reed Richards for Namor and has a kid with Namor, which is, again, something that was brought up in some of the what-if mythology. But again, if you're somebody that likes comic books, that is a comic book historian that has read some of the original Fantastic Four stories, like the original Lee Kirby 100-issue uh, run, then check out Fantastic Four Grand Design. Because again, it's very similar to this book, except it does you know, the world's greatest comic magazine, the, the kind of the same justice. Uh, so now we've got J.A. Who's going to do our kind of like out of left field book a little bit? Yep. And it's a bit of a throwback, but it's uh, related to the X-Men. X-Men. Reading this grand design got me thinking about some of my all-time favorite uncanny X-Men books. And when I think of great covers and great runs and eras within the long history of the uncanny x-men i always go back to the outback era of the x-men after the fall of the mutants and the morlocks have all been murdered underneath manhattan and the x-men have to flee and they flee to australia and uh there's a couple of years there where basically there's almost no team they they're pretending to be dead and uh my favorite issue probably is issue 251 and that's the one where wolverine is up on the x cross with brilliant mark silvestri art it's just this green wolverine uh, and the 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 x the cross he's on is green and the great purple background it's just beautiful beautiful art on the cover of that and uh it's basically chris claremont taking all the cards that he's been playing with for the last 10 15 years and shuffling them all up and redealing a new deck. That's this era. So he's taking, he's broken apart the X-Men. They've all disappeared. They've all gone away. And then he starts to bring back 
the original, some new ones. He shuffles them up, and it's setting the scene for what then became probably uh, what everybody knows about the X-Men, which is the mid-'90s X-Men of the Jim Lee era of the of the cartoon where you get the red team, the blue team and the gold team. So this is the era right before that, where Claremont is pulling all those cards that he's been playing with and shuffling them all up again and redealing a new hand. He's setting everything up for a new era of greatness. I believe they even said that. I think that was one of their marketing bits. And there's a, there's a, um, isn't there like an Epic collection or an awesome trade that you can get of these particular issues uh, from that era? Yes. There is an epic collection. It's uh, called Dissolution and Rebirth, and it collects uh, X Men 248 through 267 and a bunch of other stuff as well, I believe. And I was going to say, too, as, as somebody who read those issues, I thought the Outback X Men were actually a little bit more of a cohesive story than the stuff that ended up being more popular with all the Jim Lee art. And so yes. this one is kind of the best of both worlds. You're getting the awesome art with the Mark Silvestri and the start of Jim Lee. But uh, you're also getting stories that, you know, are a little bit more coherent. Yeah. Plus it had Havoc on the team, right? Yeah. Isn't oh, yeah. That, like, isn't there some Havoc? You had Havoc. Yes, you had Havoc. You got um, everybody's favorite Cycloc becomes uh, sexy <laughs> as opposed to cape wearing. That's right. You get the gratuitous butt shots. <laughs> All right. Here Now, here's Chad with our current selection for this week. Chad? Okay, and I'm going to go back to Ed Pisker's partner in crime uh, from the uh, Cartoonist Kayfabe podcast uh, with Tom Scioli. And this is a book, I, I got the, the teaser, or the primer for it on Free Comic Book Day last year? No. Yeah, it was last year when Free Comic Book Day was spread out over months. But uh, it's Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics. And it is uh, a comic book, graphic novel, original graphic novel format, but it's basically that academic retelling of Jack Kirby and his life and his works. And as somebody who's a fan of the history of comics, Jack Kirby is such a central figure. And that, you know, he was around when Marvel was timely, uh, he was at DC, he was came back to Marvel, and then he went back to DC again, you know, uh, he just, his career spans so much integral moments in the comic industry. Uh, Tom Scully does a fantastic job telling that tale, and so it, it hit bookstore shelves last year, it was just really, really great stuff, I encourage you, if you are a fan of the history of comics, to check it out, if you're a fan of Jack Kirby, uh, obviously check it out. If you're a fan of this whole underground comics, but uh, you know they're they're doing the yeoman's work, they're doing the telling the important tales, just like with the grand design, whether it's Pisker or whether it's Scioli's work, uh, this one is definitely worth pursuing. It's Jack Kirby, the Epic Life of the King of Comics, at bookstores and comic shops near you. All right. And that's all the time we had for Last Comic Shop this week. Make sure that you check us out. Uh, often at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a fantastic website where you can rate and review and subscribe to our podcast on a variety of outlets, as well as what else can you do on it, J.A.? Well, you can get all our great merch. Go on, get yourself a hoodie, get yourself a t-shirt, get yourself a mug. Show us some support and uh, up your fashion game. That's right. Everything. And while we may be the last comic shop podcast, we are not technically at this point in time while you're hearing this 
the last comic shop. There are comic shops near you. You can use the comicshoplocator.com website to find one that uh, will suit your needs. And so that was The Last Comic Shop. I'm the host with most, Andy Larson, and I was joined by J.A. Scott and Chad Smith. And until next week, folks, stay safe, stay sheltered, and above all, remember that that Konami X-Men video game really kicked the ass. Avengers Assemble! Oh, wait, that's the wrong one. That's the wrong one! You call the police! See my power! Yeah, there you go. I should have gone with that. <laughs> Humans can do nothing against the power of the evil mutant. The last comic shop was a 2021 Black Angus production.